Welcome to the Middle Church Podcast, a multicultural, multi-ethnic, intergenerational movement of spirit and justice, powered by revolutionary love with room for everyone. No matter where you are, how you look, or who you love, we pray this podcast will help you on your journey. Here's this week's worship celebration. How you doing? Um, how are you really doing? Okay, okay, hey. I see. I love that. How many of you are here for the very first time today? Oh, wow, fantastic. <laughs> Shout out where you're from real quick. Where are you from? Okay, that's a good answer. Welcome. <laughs> Where are you from here? Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Where are you from? Huh? Lower Manhattan. Okay, fantastic. Where are you from here? I know. <laughs> stand, stand up, Lou. Lou, Lou, is, Lou is one of our consultants from Contours that's been helping us raise our funds for the new building. She'll be in a meeting with us today, so welcome all the way from Austin, Texas. <laughs> if you're here for the very first time online, I'm Jackie, pronouns she, her, hers. We're thrilled that you're with us, and we hope you'll make your way back. Uh, let me let you know a couple of things that are happening on this day and coming soon at the end of Black History Month, not the end of our celebrating always black, but at the end of Black History Month and at the second Sunday in Lent. Um, first of all, we have two Lenten studies uh, being offered to you to help us ground ourselves in God's grace and love in this time. One is offered by Reverend Natalie Renee Perkins, who's somewhere being a digital minister upstairs, I think there she is. It's a, it's a Baldwin story. If you missed Natalie's uh, The Fire this time, you should go back and watch it. It was gorgeous. But we're looking at Baldwin as a source of Lenten reflection. So that's at 8 o'clock tonight. And where is Sarah? Sarah Brooks and her colleague are doing a beautiful artistic study um, about quietness at 5 o'clock. Both of them are on Zoom. So govern yourself accordingly. And, Decide which one you'd like to go to. We'd love to have you. Um, there is a congregational meeting immediately following worship today. I really hope you'll stay. Um, you'll skedaddle, and then there will be things you just won't know, and they're really important about the building, about the progress on it, about our fundraising, about our intention in the future, and about our staffing model. So please stay if you can. It won't be long. We'd love to have you. And it is online at the same stream as this meeting right here, which is called church. Um, the <laughs> if I could describe <laughs> how thrilling it is when I make you laugh. Did, did you know, <laughs> like people have secret dreams. Mine used to be to do concerts in Carnegie Hall for a few of my favorite friends. That used to be my dream. And then I met people who could really sing. Okay, so I don't have that dream anymore. But I do have a dream of being a stand-up comic. <laughs> so. I'm just saying, if anybody knows how to hook me up with that, call me. Let me know what's going on. Okay, so.
So congregational meeting, church is gonna happen. Young Adult Leadership Lab, we're recruiting for our next cohort of young adult leaders. Um, please see Elise, Elise knows the deal. Uh, it's uh, come through testimony, yeah, so that's good. So thank you to him. We really want you to come be with us. Elise has paperwork, and there's more things for me to tell you later. Let's stop, did I do it all? Which one? the conference. <laughs> I am sleepy. Uh, on April 26 to 28 is our 18th annual Justice Conference. This one called Freedom Rising, You Move the World. The website is freedomrisingconference.com or you can get to it um, for middlechurch.org. Guys, just to tell you, there's no place else that gets to call up Rabbi, Jick, Jake, Rabbi Rick Jacobs and, and Linda Sarsour. You understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah. And get them both here. <laughs> um, also to have Nelva Marquez Green come and talk about grief. To have Simran G. Singh come and talk about the light we carry. Look at William Barber's coming. He doesn't go anyplace anymore. And he, <laughs> I mean, and he's coming because he loves us. So let us not have an empty hall while we're trying to do this pre-election work. Valerie Corr is coming. She don't go no place no more, you know? <laughs> so, oh yeah, I'm coming. And Natalie's coming. So it's gonna be amazing, and I really do hope you buy to Cole Arthur Riley, who follows Cole? She is the baddest behind 32-year-old on the planet. Besides, besides you, my love, besides you. She's, she's just amazing. So that is my big funny commercial for you. It's a very serious time in the world, though, right? So come be with us and let us learn together. All right, let's take a breath. Think about all the ways God has blessed us, including with this incredible music team. Come on, y'all, let's sing our opening hymn.
just as Reverend Natalie makes her way to the stage, it is time for the message for all ages. So if you are young or young at heart, I see many, please make your way down to the stage with us. Thanks. Hi. <laughs> Y'all, it's more than a notion to like sit up there and do digital ministry and then like run down to the next thing. So sorry. All right. Yes, please come. I'm going to sit inside of a fern. Or what is this plant? I'm going to sit next to this. Hopefully some other people will sit with me and Mixelise and Pam <laughs> and Devin. <laughs> Anybody else want to come? There's lots of room on the blanket, on the welcome blanket. All right, come on in. The water's fine. <laughs> Friends, we're going to talk about Lent this morning. Um, we, you know, we're now into, hi, come on in. We got some space right here. We are in the midst of Lent. We're now in the second week of Lent. And I just want to make sure you all know, kind of like there's some practical people-y type stuff that, you know, one might do for Lent. And I figured it might be good to talk about what those are. So most people only talk about fasting, um, and there's more to it than that. But does anybody know what fasting means? What is fasting? Everybody's like, nope. Anybody out there know what fasting means? What is fasting? Okay, somebody said don't eat. Anybody else? What else we got? What's fasting? Going hungry. Okay. Anything else? Detoxing. What else is fasting? Abstaining, sacrificing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we do often think about fasting in relation to food. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be. There are some other things that you can fast from. I remember last year, Reverend Ben uh, talked about, I think it was in a prayer to rise. I don't know. Come to things and you'll like hear all this stuff, right? Um, where he was talking about a friend who gave up loneliness for Lent. He fasted from loneliness. And so in order to do that for 40 days, um, he scheduled uh, meals with friends. So he did not eat alone for 40 days. Do you see? Like, so fasting can be a whole bunch of different things. So I'm curious if there's anything that you might be fasting from or that you would suggest our world may be fast from for 40 days. You can shout that stuff out too. What should we fast from? Violence. Fasting from violence. Amen, please. Colonialism. Mm-hmm. What should we give up? Negative words. Judgment. Say again. Speaking? Okay. Some, pe some people are going to be silent for a full 40 days and God be with you in that. <laughs> Anything else? Anything else you're fasting from? Mm -hmm. Racism. Fast from racism. Listen, let that last more than 40 days, please. And thank you. Anything else? Okay, the other thing that happens in Lent is prayer. That's our other focus, prayer. So if you have a prayer for yourself um, in your own communion with God in this 40 days or a prayer for the world, what would that be? Jesus in the 40 days prayed, take this cup away from me. Hold us in our grief. Patience. Surround us with love, Listen. healing, blessing, not turning, not turning a blind eye, complete compassion, peace, 
Empathy. I thought I heard something out there, but I didn't hear what it was. Okay, I missed it. It's gone. That's all right. God got it. The last piece is giving. What do we give in this season? How can we give? From ourselves, or um, what should the world be giving? Hope. Love. Peace. Peace. Presence. Kindness. Kindness. I'm going to say effort. Intentionality. Understanding. Yeah. Rest. Love for your neighbor. Did we say friendship? Did we say friendship? Friendship, I don't think so. I hope that we can hold these three intentions throughout this Lenten season, that it's just not the fasting, but if it is the fasting that you consider the creative ways in which you can do this, that it's just not the prayer, but if it is just the prayer that you're able to really connect with what, um, with the divine in this moment, and it's just not the giving, but if it is the giving, that you find a meaningful way to do so. I'm going to read a prayer that I saw this morning on the Instagrams from the Pope. So if you will repeat after me, please. Let us cultivate, Let us cultivate. Open, outlooks open outlooks and become, and become seekers, of light, seekers of light, searching for the light, for the light of, Jesus of Jesus in prayer, in prayer and, other people. and other people. Amen. Amen. Let's see you humble our way back to our seats with the original words. pray for us and COVID can still make us nervous but there are some people who are standing that I bet could sit if we would just shift our coats. Can we can we in love just think about that? And the people who okay you're okay yeah so if you want to sit and someone shifted you can sit. There's one right here like in the black church people are like one right here <laughs> couple here okay all right thank you Diane. Thank you so much. Good morning. Good morning. Let's just settle in now. Thank you, Natalie, for such a wonderful way to enter prayer. Holy Spirit, we welcome you this morning and ask that you fill the church with your presence. We have come to worship and to praise you. We acknowledge that you are almighty, all-powerful, and perfect in all ways. We glorify you. God, we lift up the name of Jesus. 
Thank you, Holy Spirit, for guiding us and teaching us. Remind us that we are your beloved children and that you will never run or turn your spirit away from us. We love you and know you love us from the beginning of all time. Holy Spirit, we also came to church today to talk to you, to be with you, and to ask God for a few things. Your word says, we have not because we ask not. And that we can boldly come before the throne and make our request. Lord, we ask that you end the pain, the struggling, and the death in all the areas of the Middle East and Israel and Gaza. More than two years of suffering and despair for the people in the Ukraine. Have mercy on them. Lord, end the wars. Put into power leaders who care about your people more than their personal greed or personal gain especially in the United States. Holy Spirit, we ask that you watch over us as we ride public transportation. Restore our bodies to health and free us from addiction. Please mend the brokenhearted. Remove imaginary fears that run through our minds and distort our thinking. Lord, some of us are tired. We've grown weary. We're tired of the kids, the grandkids, the old kids, the young kids, taking care of kids. We're tired. Lord, some of us are working two and three jobs just to make ends meet. We're tired, Lord. And some of us, we've been tired of doing your work. We know that we're called to do it, but we're tired. Help us, Lord. Help us. Your word says, love says, that God has not given us more of this life than we can handle. And some of us are standing on wobbly legs right now. Tell us we are strong. Tell us we are intelligent. We're funny. We're loving. We're kind. And that we are enough. Let us never forget to thank you in the sad times, the lonely times, in the I don't give a damn times, because we know you hear us and you still are near to us. Holy Spirit, help us to be more loving to our family, friends, lovers, and the stranger on the corner. Help us to believe that we have all that we need, food, clothing and shelter and our cups will run over with your mercy and blessings make us givers Lord above all Holy Spirit let us not to forget to surrender our free will to you for you to do with us as you please let this be so Holy Spirit let this be so Amen So now, if you're able to stand.
and in your bulletin that I don't have right now. <laughs> the Lord's Prayer, in the way that you understand it, that you were taught it. Ever-loving and holy God, hallowed be your name. Your reign come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the reign, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. comfortable for you. Let's pass the peace among one another. Amen. <laughs> Peace be with you, middle fam. I'm here with my niece, Eliana, to share this week's Pop On, Passing the Peace online news. Stick around after worship for a half-hour congregational meeting. Get the update on the building. You are our community, and it is important to us that you know what's going on. So we've been collecting your questions to answer in this meeting. Be in prayer with us during this process, and also help pass the information about our building along. I'll be with you in the chat. The second Linton journey kicks off this evening at 5 p.m. Eastern time. Join visual artist Sarah Brooke and poet Alicia Mountain in a season of bright sadness and explore the Linton journey through poetry and art. Oh, and of course, join our anatomy at 8 p.m. for the second week of our Baldwin book week together. We are at the Baldwin tonight. That's, That's it, it for now. now. Blessings on your week, everyone.
little family. How are y'all doing online? We love you. For every mountain, 
you brought me over. And for every trial that you seen me through. No one. 
Somebody said it's a good thing I have on boots. Because <laughs> that was a two-shoe moment right there. <laughs> I don't, I, don't know, I don't know how fully to say, to, to describe what it's like to watch a multi-ethnic choir sing gospel music like that, led by a multi-ethnic band. I mean, it's just amazing. Stand up. You know, John is Tex-Mex. <laughs> He's Tex-Mex. Or so he says. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Amazing grace. I'm just saying. Some African up in there somewhere. Wow. My sermon today is called Silencing the Snake in honor of black history and toward a trauma-free black future. Let us pray. Holy God, these words of scripture are script for our life. We hope to hear a word from you, a word for now, for this time, for this day, for this moment, for these people, a word that will edify us and change us and transform us so that we can transform the world. So God, may, may the words of my mouth remind us of all the mountains we've been over, and may the meditations of my heart remind us of all the ways you've seen us through, and may may they all be acceptable in your sight. Amen. So th 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 this is a long text. I'm not going to read it all. I'm going to read what's here. Um, but it's the second Genesis creation story, right? First one is God speaking the world into existence in six days and resting on the seventh. And then this one, this beautiful second one, is where, you know, Adam is given a blessing by God. I don't want you to be alone. It's not good for you to be alone. So look around at all these animals and things and see if there's anybody good enough for you. Adam does not choose one, which I think is good news in a way. <laughs> he doesn't choose an animal, but God puts him to sleep and takes a rib out of the side of him. And this myth of creation really tracks with an Ethiopian myth of creation where there's a two-sided human being, and the one side gets split. 
So the word for rib and the word for side are the same word in Hebrew. Ah. So God is putting back together a whole person, hear me tell you, when he puts Adam to sleep so she can make Eve. Listen to what happens next. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. So God said to the woman, excuse me, the serpent said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of all the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was looking good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also came, gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig trees together and made loincloths for themselves. This is some of the word of God. <laughs> Redacted. <laughs> for the people of God. Somebody say amen. amen. You can't read 24 verses. I don't care how black you are. That's too much. <laughs> people be like, that's just too much like the black church if you're going to read 24 verses. Okay. I'm, I hope that you, yep, yeah, good, that was, that was my intended. So then I get, to, I get to paraphrase the rest. God was walking around in the garden and could tell what had happened. And it was evening time, there was a breeze blowing. Um, God called her, where y'all at? I like paraphrasing, where you at? <laughs> I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, I hid myself. Who told you you didn't have any clothes on? The woman. <laughs> the woman that you gave me gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord God said, what have you done? And the woman said, the serpent. <laughs> Can you hear all the trickle down blame? <laughs> The woman did it, but the snake did it first. The serpent tricked me, and I ate. And the Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, curse are you among all the animals. And you will crawl around your belly. I will put enmity between you and the woman, your offspring and hers, and this, the woman will strike your head, and you will strike her heel. And to the woman, he said, I'm going to make it really hard now for you to have children you will bring them forth in pain because before this it was going to feel like a walk on the beach. But now <laughs> that you've had some fruit, that stuff is going to need some Tylenol. Okay, so. And then, and then the man, 
And then to the man, he said, because you listen to the voice of your wife. <laughs> and have eaten of a tree which a week behind. Oh, did I say that? Oh. <laughs> which a non-boundary having, no free will, no choice having by yourself. Little woman just tricked you. Because you did that, you are going to toil and eat uh, of the fruit you plant all the days of your life, thorns and thistles, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? They got put out of the garden. Okay, that's more of the word of God for the people of God. Yeah. Um, so I've, some of you have heard me tell the story of being an eight-year-old uh, taking communion with my mom for the first time. I sat on the pew next to her, and she was breaking down the text for me. Um, the preacher had said all the words, the words of institution, the words of thanksgiving, all the words that make the ordinary bread holy, and all the words that make the ordinary cup holy. And I was kind of listening. I, I, I kind of was listening. But you know, I wasn't really getting all of that. What I didn't know then that I now know is that my mom was a womanist who was raising a womanist. Do you know what I mean when I say womanist? Right? Alice Walker's definition, lavender, purple, white, you know, black. But womanism being a, a kind of theological a construct of liberating all the people, not just some of the people. And also that the theoethics of womanism are often found in the storytelling. That, that's the part my mom knew. If you read a book called Katie's Canon, you'll hear Katie saying that our stories are teaching us our theological way. Does that make sense to y'all? So mommy was raising a womanist um, who Alice Walker would have called me womanish because I was fast. No, not that way. I was <laughs> not fast like that. But I was. <laughs> Grownish, you know, comadre to my siblings. And I was, um, you know, frisky and I was quick. You know, I had a precocious mind. Uh, but also, though I was obedient, I questioned everything. I had forgotten this until I started writing this sermon that my Sunday school teacher used to call my parents and say, You need to tell Jackie to be quiet. <laughs> Not because I was talking a lot. I was, but not just for that reason, but because I was questioning everything. I was an eight-year-old with giant sets of questions for everybody. I'd be the one in the school saying, why are we only talking about Black History Month in February? What's that about? Um, I would say, why are white people still mad at black people? What did we do? What's that about? I, I always thought there was another way to do a math problem. I don't care. So flip it upside down and do it another way. I was that kind of girl. I don't know what, what anyway, I was. Um, but most of my eight-year-old questions were reserved for my Sunday school teacher. Her name was Mrs. Dixon. <coughs> she taught me from seven years old to 17 years old because her son was in my class. We got to be tight, she and I. But I was always in her ear with some mess, for sure. For example, if Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him, what about the Chinese girl in the orphanage in Beijing? Is she ever going to hear about Jesus? So is she going to go to hell? My eight-year-old mind would wonder. And what about the Jews and the Muslims? I'd wonder. If God can do everything and God wants them to be Christians, why can't God just make them Christians? Or this was really, I wrestled with this, though I was only eight and had not been fast. Um, I knew something about how babies become babies because my mother was pregnant twice in that time. 
sort of swelling belly, and you heard sounds, and you kind of knew what was going on. So I was really curious about how Mary was a virgin when she got pregnant and worried about, like, Jesus is God's baby, and God is the daddy, and so how did that happen? And Mrs. Dixon would say, it was a miracle. And I'd be like, but I don't understand. Tell me more. And she'd try. <laughs> the Holy Spirit came over her. What does that mean? Sat on her? Like, what are you talking about? I just don't know. I'm eight. Understand. Moses went up on the mountaintop and got the Ten Commandments. How? I had seen the Cecil B. DeMille. Did God write on the tablets? How could Moses bring those heavy tablets down from the mountain by himself? Weren't they heavy? I understand it. So we get to this second creation story today where, the, where God has created everything and the sunlit sky is sparkling with the stars and the moon at night and the fish are swimming and the things are crawling and galloping and all the things are happening. And the human beings have been created in God's image, right? In six days, they've been created. And God rests on the seventh day. What was my question then, do you think? How long were those damn days? How long, how long a day is a day that can map onto evolution? <coughs> Does anybody else have questions like that? I'm making you laugh, but come on. Doesn't some of it make you go, isn't some of it a thing that makes you go, hmm? Did God make the dinosaurs? I just, I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't clear. So here's Adam and Eve hanging out in paradise. You heard the story. You heard me picking on all the ways the text points to hating women. Of which I am one. So I don't really feel good about that. But I'm thinking, even then, eight-year-old me, if God is omnipotent and omniscient, and knows all the things and did all the things and created the humans like they're created, couldn't God have done one of two things? A, take the trees out of the garden. You're God. Cut them down. You don't even need, you don't even need an ax because you're God. Do you, you feel what I'm saying? Just make the trees go away. Or change the nature of the people. You made them. They don't have to be curious. Right? This story is what some anthropologists call folk memory myth. Say folk memory. It's a folk memory. These are universal myths predicated in the collective memory of a particular culture of society and passed down from generation to generation. Right? From generation to generation. And not necessarily in one place. These folk memories are kind of like what Jung would call like an archetype. Like these stories are happening over and over again. There's a flood narrative over here, and there's one also over here. Uh, there's a, get this one, there's a story about a god who dies and comes to life. All over the place, all over the ancient Middle East, and also in Greek. So these are universal myths predicated on the collective memory of a particular people. Embedded in the myth of the Garden of Eden is the memory of an era when humans were free 
from toil and struggle. Can you feel this? When they were hunter-gatherers in the olden paleontology times, and they didn't have to plant seeds and hold the seeds and till the soil and water the plants and pick them when it was hot outside because they just went and caught a bunny rabbit and ate it. Those days were easy for the humankind as they were becoming human. They had a memory, a folk memory of the easy time. This myth helps them answer the question from how they go from easy to hard. Are you feeling what I'm saying? It's their fault, is what the folk memory says. Human beings like to think things are their fault. Do you know why? Because then they feel in control. It's not God's fault. It's not the enemy's fault. It's their fault. Their fault that they <laughs> ate the tree. Well, you know, Eve's fault. That they ate the tree and that they became like God. Uh, Rabbi Harold Kushner says this is a story about evolution. This is a story about humans becoming human. Okay, but if a talking snake can pull us off message, and by message I mean God is good, God creates humanity good, God creates the world good, God creates humanity very good, we suddenly have a text about how worm-like we are. I say worm-like we are. How we are the scourge of the earth. How we are no good for anybody. How then... All the way through time, God's responsible to teach us how to be better. And how does God do that? Well, that takes us to another kind of a myth. Oops. A story. A story of God loving the world enough to come all the way down into the world as human. But in order to save the humans from their badness, God kills the son he loves. Stay with me. And so the chosen beloved son is an animal sacrifice for us to make things right that are wrong. And that story comes from Canaanite myths of God's needing to be appeased by the sacrifice of someone beloved. Did I lose you? Are you feeling what I'm saying? The story of a garden made trash by a talking snake leads us to theologies that manifest themselves across millennia. Theologies that we're not worthy, theologies that we're not loved, theologies that we're not good, theologies that women are not holy, theologies that women are bad, nasty, that they will distract the men, theologies that the man needs to dominate, in fact, the humankind needs to dominate, because God said to go and dominate. Did she say go dominate? Or do people making meaning of their lives, I'm pushing us, warning, do people making meaning of their lives sometimes make meaning of their lives that don't make much sense. But they make sense in the time because the people are traumatized and they're trying to figure out what the hell is going on 
and they write some stuff to try to make meaning of the stuff, well, maybe God was just mad at us, and that's why we got conquered in war. Maybe we had idols, and that's why we didn't thrive. Maybe we did not say the right prayers, and that's why our territory wasn't increased. And maybe, just maybe, if a black Palestinian Jew deserves to be killed to make the world right, maybe all the black people deserve to be sacrificed to make the world right. Maybe. Maybe. When I was in seminary, we were taught God has preferential treatment for the poor. Like the poor are chosen to be poor so God can prefer them. When I was in seminary, we were taught that God's people were the Jews and that God chose the Jews to be his people because that was a he God, to be his people. And the choosing of the Jews was, was like, even though they were suffering, even though they were struggling, even though they were making bricks without straw, even though they were broke, even though they were outsider, even though they were empired, even though empire after empire after empire destroyed them, they were chosen. For what? Chosen to suffer? So the nations can watch God rescue them. Chosen to struggle? Why? So God can bless the nations by ultimately showing that God is on Israel's side, except the whole while, Babylon kicking the booty, Syrophoenicians kicking the booty, dang, that booty, they got no more booty, because they've been so terribly abused and traumatized by the violence around them that maybe they need to make a theology of chosenness just so they don't feel all of the existential annihilation that's appropriate to feel when you've been traumatized. They took scriptures out of the slave Bible so black people couldn't imagine themselves free. But the text as it is is a traumatizing text written by traumatized people in traumatized time to make meaning of trauma. And we just pass it along over and over and over again. In our Sunday school lessons, at camp, when the children's indeed in worship, the scriptures we encourage them to preach, the stories we tell, we traumatize a traumatized people because we're afraid, afraid, afraid to question them. Eight-year-olds are not so afraid. I wonder if our eight-year-old self were to be honest about the parts of this stuff that cripples us without question, if we would put our hands on our hips and say, what are you talking about, text? And interrogate it through a hermeneutic of the God is love as opposed to the God will beat you behind when you don't behave. I was in a room with a woman at the Proctor Conference, wonderful woman named Dr. Pamela Lightly. And she told a story of being raised by a mother who would just regularly whip her kids, meaning whip Pamela and her siblings, 
so they wouldn't whip you when you get out in the streets. Did anybody grow up with a parent trying to press you, stress you, beat you, discipline you to keep you safe in the name of love? In the name of love. In the name of love. Queer people. Queer people in the name of love have been castigated for millennia even though queer people have been queer all of that time. Just having a nice life, just being queer and falling in love with each other and you know, mentoring each other and living, living two-spiritedness, my trans friends, just queer as they want to be. But somewhere somebody traumatized decides that the queer people traumatize them and texts get circulated to talk about who's an abomination. And if we don't criticize that, we're an abomination. If we don't question, right? If we don't question. But the Bible says, the Bible says a man was approached by some strangers. And the strangers went to sleep with the man in the house. So the man was like, you know what? I'm going to send my daughters outside to the men who want to have sex with somebody. That's in the text. If we don't understand the misogyny and the homophobia in that text, that's an abomination. Let me talk about blackness for just another second because we are really long. I am black. I think we know this. <laughs> I think of all of the subtle ways that this Bible that I was given as text to interrogate, all the ways it told me I wasn't worthy. I wasn't worthy because some child look upon the nakedness of their father and I'm cursed and my people are cursed. I'm not worthy because God is sovereign and if God let there be slavery, God must have meant for some of us to be slaves. I'm not worthy because God blessed the hierarchy because God chose Israel, and then the white Europeans decided to choose that story for themselves. And so chosenness becomes manifest destiny, becomes take this land, take Turtle Island from the Lenape, which becomes build this nation on the back of black people all in the name of chosenness, because didn't nobody question that text. If it's good enough for them, it's good enough for us. The chosenness narrative is still killing people. As a black person in this nation, all the while that we could be enslaved, ripped away from our people, sold off in bondage, be emancipated and supposed to get 40 acres of a mule and not. All the ways that redlining housing laws didn't let even my military dad buy a house. All the ways to be denied loans. All the ways now to have these human rights that were fought for rolled back and disappeared. All the ways that being black like me continues to invite oppression and macroaggressions, 
in the text that was written by traumatized people in traumatized times, the text with traditions that are not questions, the text with tropes that are not examined, continue to inflict wounds on my people. We're not liberated until we liberate the text. No, I got to go. I got to stop. But we're going to be living in this place for a while. We're going to be living in this place through the end of June, where we are reframing and reclaiming Christian, which is in our mission statement, and using sermons and conversations and talks with Reverend Natalie and talks with Reverend Amanda and you know, talks with Zane, the conference, all of these theological projects, guys, and they are theological projects, are designed to really get us free to help us to feel free to ask the questions that are in our minds and to not have eight-year-old bravery and to push the text around and be theologians and residents in our own life. I'm not free until you're free. And I'm not free while any of us is serving this nasty, mean, punitive, racist, misogynist, homophobic God created in the image of the people who created that God. Let me say that again. That's not God. Those are myths. That's not God. Those are stories. That's not God. Those are traumatized reactions to make meaning of the trauma. We can forgive that. We can have grace about that, but we got to fix that. And we're going to fix it together. Amen? Amen. to all our onliners. All right. As the choir is coming, uh, I'm here for Join the Movement. My name is Ivan Anderson. My pronouns are he, him, his. Uh, very excited to be with you all. Happy Black History Month, our last Sunday in Black History Month. When I watched all the children, their copper, brown, and beige faces staring up at me as I taught Sunday school, I felt that I was committing a crime and talking about the gentle Jesus in telling them to reconcile themselves to their misery on earth in order to gain the crown of eternal life. Were only Negroes to gain this crown? Was heaven then to be merely another ghetto? Perhaps I might have been able to reconcile myself even to this if I had been able to believe that there was any loving kindness to be found in the haven I represented. But I had been in the pulpit too long and I had seen too many monstrous things. There was no love in the church. It was a mask for hatred and for hatred and self-hatred and despair, the transfiguring power of the Holy Ghost ended when the service ended, and salvation stopped at the church door. When we were told to love everybody, I had thought that that meant everybody. But no, it applied only to those who believed as we did, and it did not apply to white people at all. This is uh, from a letter from a region of my mind uh, from November 1962 by James Baldwin, 
uh, on whose prophetic queer black shoulders uh, I stand, James Baldwin, who turns 100 this year, James Baldwin, who's the subject of our Lenten Bible study led by Reverend Natalie. Um, they were written in 1962, and they could not be more true today in so many places and spaces across our nation and our world. Um, there are still churches that use religion as oppression, that use religion to keep you down and in a box, uh, but not here at Middle. Um, we are free here at Middle. I certainly have experienced the freedom to be authentically myself, a queer black man here in this space. Uh, we are, amen. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, we are multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-faith, multi-gendered, a uh, place where we can worship just as you are, as you come through the door. Um, and James Baldwin, in, in, in this, uh, this letter, goes on not just to talk about the, the doom and gloom of the fact that our religious ideology is broken, but he has some hope in there, as he often does. Uh, he speaks about change, not on the surface, but in the depth, change in the sense of renewal. And so my question for us all here today is how will middle change you? How will you change middle? As some of you know, uh, February 16th, Friday before last, I happened to release an album. <laughs> um, thank you. Ivan Christopher in Greater Glory, Just As I Am, available everywhere, shameless plug. And on Wednesday, uh, a number of folks here, the band and, and, the, and the choir and our own John Del Cueto and Jackie and uh, Vicky and Danita and, and Devin and everyone else who I'm forgetting, uh, came out on Wednesday night for our uh, album release fundraising concert. Uh, and I'm very happy to announce that we are closing in on, if not already surpassing, $25,000 in <laughs> donations uh, for Middle Rising. So give yourselves a round of applause. Um, thank you all for the support. Thank you all. It, it means so much to me. And again, this community being such an important place for me personally and for this world that is hurting, that needs to hear, as Jackie said, like the hard questions about theology and about religion being asked and like faced head on. Like, as a kid, I remember reading certain things in the Bible and being like, these two things don't agree. And I was like, hush, 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 it's, this is the Bible. It's the inerrant word of God. Uh, and as I've gotten older, I'm so glad to be in a community where we can question these things and be in community with that tension. Um, and so if you're looking for a community like this, uh, please join us, middlechurch.org slash join, uh, and middlechurch.org slash donate uh, to give to our uh, multi-year campaign to rebuild our sanctuary on 7th, Ab sorry, 2nd Avenue and 7th, I always do that, and <laughs> 2nd Avenue. Uh, we, you'll hear more in our after uh, service uh, talk back about the work that we're doing and the progress, the tremendous progress uh, toward our $15 million campaign, so stay tuned for that. Um, and I'll just close again with, with, with a quote from, from James Baldwin. Change is not on the surface, but in, this, in the depth. Change in the sense of renewal. How will middle change you? How will you change middle? How will you create and experience renewal and revival in this place? Can you feel it? Can you hear it? Can you see it? I hear sounds of revival all over this place. Amen. When I'm broken, when I'm bruised, been mistreated and abused, I look to Jesus. Oh, Jesus. And when I see the nail prints in his hands and in his feet, I know there is no recovery from this present suffering. God's turning pain 
into power and scars into testimonies. I hear sounds of revival telling dry bones, get up and live again. You can live again. It's like clap your hands in this place.
God for all these gifts uh, and all the givers. We are truly grateful. Uh, may these gifts be used for your glory um, and for uh, love, period, in the world. May it be so. Amen. church. Ours is a theological project. Theological project. Theological project. Our faith is a living faith in a God who is still speaking. Our job is to listen better. Our job is to like silence snaky sounds. 
Because if it sounds like a snake, it's probably not good. Um, so to have some discerning about that, and really to feel free, to really feel free to play. Do you know what I mean? Play with God. Uh, uh, experiment with God. Listen for the other thing. and See what that has to give us for joy and freedom. God is not going to get mad because we ask questions. God is not going to get mad if we ask questions. But I think God's going to be brokenhearted if we keep traumatizing each other with these traumatizing texts. So I'm inviting you to be in the play space. Come to classes, listen, learn, follow us, share what you see. Be on your, be on your own exploration and come for God's sake, come for God's sake to the gazillions of theologians that are going to be at Marble Church May, April 26 to 28. Come on, people. You don't want to miss that. We've gotten to a dangerous place. I don't want to re-preach, but we've gotten to a dangerous place in this nation where white Christian nationalism, y'all can cut this and put it out there, right? White Christian nationalism is masquerading as church. And people are suffering. This little child killed in the bathroom because he didn't look, they didn't look, whatever, what? Because they don't look like the other kids? All the ways human life is just tortured with bigotry because we're not doing our theological work. We have to do the work and not be silent and not like I know that because we actually don't. We're actually on a journey of discovery, okay? Will you come with me? Will you come, come play with me and, and learn, right? And like make it better. Make this world a better place. Amen? I love you. God bless and keep you. You can't leave now. I'm holding you hostage. The doors are closing. No, 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 no. <laughs> stay for the meeting, please. Will you stay for the meeting? Please stay for the meeting. Come down if you want. Mark Reed's coming down. I'm not hugging you at the door. So you're getting a hug. Not right now. <laughs> Thanks for listening, friends. To learn more about Middle Church, visit middlechurch.org. You can help grow this movement of love and justice by rating us on Apple or Spotify and by sharing this episode with a friend or two. Send us an email at info at middlechurch.org if you have any questions or comments. We hope you'll come back next week. Bye for now.